What's up, independent insurance agents? Are you finally fed up with the massive amounts of time, money, resources being allocated to customer service within your agency? Is this causing your agency growth and revenue to become stagnant or even decline? The answer to this frustration is Glovebox, the premier mobile and web self-servicing solution made by successful independent insurance agents just like us, specifically for independent insurance agencies. Guys, this is the only platform with direct carrier connections. Glovebox gives your clients the power to engage within their writing carriers and you, their agency, in a single, easy-to-use platform. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast and get 20% off of your monthly subscription for life, guys. For life. This isn't an intro deal. This is for life. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today. Thanks. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Apple Valley, Minnesota, a parade first team All-American rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bill Butler. How are you, Bill? I am great, Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to have a dear friend of mine, former Army Ranger, great American. I have this image in my head, Bill, that you've got the American Eagle like tattooed between your shoulder blades on your back. It's actually right here on my chest, Scott, right in the middle center above my heart. I got an eagle with American flag. When I think about Bill Butler, I think about there's a great American right there. There's a man, there's a man that is a great American. And I appreciate you being on and being the co-host of the show with me today. Guys, we have a special episode for you because I know for you insurance agents, reading books is like kryptonite. I got I got great news for all of you people today. Mr. Bill Butler and I have both read cover to cover the book by Jim Collins, Good to Great. Just for you. And we have done it just for you. And we are going to go page by page through my notes, summary, if you will. And we are going to discuss the book, Good to Great. And I will just say this, we're boiling this down for you so you don't have to read the audible eight hours of Good to Great. But I highly encourage each and every one of you to write this shit down because it is a fantastic book. Bill, would you like to add to that? Yeah. And so let me tell you a quick story about good to great. My dad on the, on the shelf behind me in the video, there's, there's a a little CD deal. uh, And my dad gave me these CDs, uh, CD, uh, you know, I call books on tape old school, but uh, he gave me the CDs to listen to these in my car. And he's like, Hey, Bill, you should check this book out. It's great. And I sat on my shelf for about five years. And then I went to a coaching boot camp with one of our good friends, Mike Stromso. And lo and behold, there was good to great again, showed up. Mike had listened to it in car university, as he says. Right. And uh, I thought, man, I should, I should check that out. And, you know, I think for, for a lot of insurance agents, when the message is right, it shows up when you need it most. And it was 2000 and I think 14, 15, when I, when I first really listened to good to great, and I had to listen to it twice on CD. It just, it clicked. And I thought, you know, they're talking about big businesses, but as, as Jim Collins talks about in the book and his other books, he's got four really great ones. 
they're just business principles, whether right. you're Walgreens or, you know, if you, you know, Merck, huge pharmaceutical company, or I protect insurance down in Huntsville, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama. It's, it's business principles. And, and if you can put some of these business principles in place, you will leverage what you do. And so anyway, I just, I'm a huge Jim Collins fan. I'm going to make a recommendation. Here's a thought. And I'll, of course, I'll have to run this to, by the powers to be. I would love for you and I about once a month. Selfishly, this is going to help you and I more than it's going to help all the 250,000 insurance. Agents, yeah. Right? I would love for you and I to do a podcast maybe once a month or once every couple of months, depending on our schedules, where we just do a book review on a book that we both look at each other and go, every insurance agent in America has got to read this. I started a book club in my Rotary Club Did you to, to force myself to read because it is kryptonite. Well, <laughs> the, the reason I'm saying this is I know these people aren't going to read. Yeah. But they will listen to a podcast. And yeah. if they've got you and I on here breaking this down Big Bird style for one hour versus the eight-hour audible or, or reading. Actually, some people learn better by actually reading a book. I learn yeah. better by listening for some reason. I don't know why. So, all right, here we go. Ten pages of notes. We're going to start with chapter one. And as I always, like, as I always like to say, we're going to get the damn hay down where the goats can get to it. Perfect. When, when you guys finish this, there won't, there won't be any questions about what's being said here. So I hope you got a pen and paper. If not, just listen to this about three times and you should get the the overarching theme of the book by Jim Collins, Good to Great. So here we go. Chapter one. These, these are just my notes because, and it, as I was telling you off air, Bill, it owns people how many notes I take. It's like J Justin Miller will come in here and he'll say, why, why do you have 15 legal pads full of notes? And I'm like, because all I do is write notes all the time about everything. But here, so here we go. Good to great. Jim Collins. First thing I wrote down of the difference between the great companies that were studied in this book and the good or mediocre companies, there seemed to be no relation as it related to management pay. I found that to be interesting. Both sets of great companies and mediocre companies had strategic plans. The best companies, the great companies also had stop doing it lists, things they were going to stop doing. Here's another big one I found that I've always kind of believed, but I was glad Jim brought it out to light. Technology cannot, cannot, cannot be a fundamental spark to go from good to great. We'll, we'll talk about that way later on down the road here. Here's another one I found to be very interesting. Love this so much. Say it all the time. If you're a mediocre company and you go out and you buy another mediocre company, two mediocre companies cannot make a great company. I found that I love that. That was great. Next one, total transformation. Most people in the organization for the companies that were listed that went from good to great did not know and were not aware at the time only later that they were taking this company from good to great. That includes management. That includes employees. Everybody that was talked to said, hell, I don't know. We were, you we're know, just we, doing had, it. 
Yeah, we're just, just doing, doing it. They were just doing it. That's exactly right. Later on, they could look back and they went, damn, we did it. <laughs> but well, and, the, and the interesting thing with that, Scott, is when they interviewed him, they say, yeah, we're still not a great company. We have right. ways to, to grow beyond where we're at. It was not a revolutionary process. No, None of these companies took a shortcut, and we'll talk about that later. They didn't take any shortcut. There was no aha moment. There was no revolutionary thing or technology they came up with that they were like, that's it. We're going to be great. Revolutionary results equal evolutionary process. Yeah, that's talk right. About, talk about that. That's the the hard thing, I think, just overall good to great, right? It, it, it's really easy to be a good insurance agent because unfortunately in our industry, the bar is very low. Like right. if you return a phone call and process a policy change regard, or send a certificate of insurance out You're good. the same day or the day after, you get a five-star Google review. And that's just the minimum of service, right? And so, but if you want to have a great organization versus a good organization, it's that evolutionary process that you just spoke about. And it's putting things into place every day, working on building your business better, making a great organization versus, you know, having those blinders on and just doing the day to day to day to day stuff. The grind. And then eventually you hit this. Jim talks about a lot in the book. There's an inflection point where you go from this, this evolution process to all of a sudden breakthrough. Right. And that evolutionary process can be one year, two years, three years, 10 years. That's and right. you and you look at a company that winds up on the cover of Fortune. Well, they didn't do one thing one day and they were on Fortune. It was a 20-year process. Right. So okay. it's that build-up breakthrough. Right. So next one, and this is this is probably the linchpin of the entire book. Great companies all had a three-stage process. And we're going to get into this later. Stage one, they had disciplined people. That's right. Disciplined people. Now, we're going to get into that a lot more in a few minutes. Stage two, those people had disciplined thoughts. And stage three, they had disciplined actions. Now, we're going to talk about that later, but I just wanted to bring up that that is the linchpin of the entire book. I think he says it about 733 times in Here, the course of the Yeah, he does. Over and over and over. Right. So next one, I got to, I got to correct Mike Stromso. Mike Stromso talks about the three stools of insurance agencies, people, process, promotion. Those are the three legs of the stool. Well, here's a, here's a new one for you, Mike. Here's a new one for you. It's not people. It's the right people. So here's, here's what I wrote down. People are not, are not your most important asset, the right people are your most important asset, hiring I, the right people. And you absolutely. hear that throughout the whole book, throughout the whole book. And the other thing is not just the right people. You may have a world-class salesperson or, you know, a world-class person just in general, very, very bright, coachable, a great person for the team, but they might be in the wrong seat struggling Correct. as a salesperson, but they might make a great account manager, vice versa. They might be a great insurance mind. So getting not just great people, but they're not just right people, but the right people in the right seats. Here's the last thing I wrote down on page number one of my notes. And this talks about a culture of discipline among the great companies. When you have disciplined people, the right people, disciplined people, you don't need bureaucracy. That's or, right. Or hierarchy. 
That's or right. hierarchy. If you have disciplined thought, you don't need bureaucracy, right? That's right. If you have disciplined action, you don't need excessive controls. Talk about that. So, you know, Jim talks about that in the book and, you know, it's some of what I've built at my agency is you manage the process, not the people. So if you're having, you know, if you're having trouble with a really great team member, it's probably not them that's wrong. It's the process that you have in place for them. Correct. And so if you, then you're just managing the process, you say, Hey, let's, let's talk about what this is. And, and they know what's wrong and right. they can help you fix it, but you got to listen to your, you know, I, I don't have all the, I'm definitely not the smartest guy in the room. Me I just either. look and see what else is going right for somebody and say, I should try that over my agency. Next page. And I'm not going to even talk about that because that's towards the end. It's, it's the technology stuff yeah. again. He brings that up about three or four times within the book. He does. Now, just for everyone's knowledge, this book was written in 2000. Correct. When he originally wrote this book was 2000. So it was the, you know, dot-com bubble. So here we start talking about level five leaders. And that's what each and every insurance agency owner should strive to be, a level five leader. Leader. You can accomplish anything if you don't mind who gets the credit. My God, has there ever been anything more true than that? Level five leaders do not talk about themselves. In most cases of the case studies that they did, they were quiet, they were humble, they were modest, and they were understated. Kind of right. that, that Sam Walton you know, I remember when Sam Walton pulled up in Hamilton, Alabama for the grand opening of the Walmarts, because we call it Walmarts in Alabama. We put an S on the end of it, Walmarts. He was driving about a 1978 blue Chevrolet truck, and nobody there knew who he was. Just thought he's some old man that was wanting to get a you know glass of Kool-Aid and some cookies or something. It was Sam freaking Walton, CEO of Walmarts. That's what uh, it, it says in the book, a level five leader executive builds enduring greatness through a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. These are just quiet people. You know, think about that in the middle, you know, you're a veteran, I'm a veteran. You think about, you know, the, the motto of special forces is the quiet professionals. They don't walk around beating their chest, talking about, right. Hey, we're special forces. They just go out and do the work, right? Just go do the work. That's exactly right. So great level five leaders believe in this if you don't have if you do not have the capacity you're not going to keep your job they do not allow mediocrity in their organizations and they do not allow nepotism that's right those are two of the hallmarks of level five leaders if you don't have the the intelligence the capacity to do your job you are not going to keep it and they build that culture of discipline within the organization, right? So they in the book, he talks about a story, Nucor, one of the steel plants. If you didn't perform because of this level five leadership and leading from, from the front, they actually, in this culture of discipline, they actually, if you weren't pulling your weight at the steel mill, they run you out of there. Right. You either fit with the culture or you didn't. And that, that comes from the top of how we go about our work. Great leaders. They have the will. They have the resolve. They have the humility to create superb results. They're typically modest. They act with a calm determination, and they will settle for nothing less than greatness. That's the end of my page two notes right there. 
Level five leaders, they never blame others. Every single freaking thing that happens in this freaking insurance agency is my fault. That's right. Every single freaking thing. I am the goalie. There is no last line of defense past me. You get past me, there's nobody. Would you like to add to that? I'm sorry I get passionate about you that. You do get pat. Well, I like that, Scott. But That's I what I like about I freaking hate freaking excuses. Jim talks about it in the book, and he talks about the level five leadership, and he talks about the window in the mirror. And the window in the mirror, I think, is a really great analogy. And the, the mirror is exactly what you just talked about. When something goes wrong, level five leaders look in the mirror and say, what did I do to cause this problem? Correct. And anytime something goes right, they look out the window and they say, look at the great team I assembled that had that all go right. Even if you're the, you know, you're the guy kind of, or the, you know, insurance agent, the, the man or woman behind the agency, you, you, you could take the credit, but you don't, you look out the window and look at your team, look at what a great team I have. So when something goes right, you look out the window when something goes wrong, you look in the mirror. And if you find yourself as an insurance agent out there going, you know, ah, look at how great we are. And you look in the mirror and say, it's all my, you know, this is my doing. Uh, you better look in the mirror again and say, right. I need to look out the window and look at what a great team I've assembled. And, and that's just an analogy of being able to, uh, you know, put yourself in a leadership position of it's team first, not me. Here's a clue for you guys. Okay. If we're going to play blues clues for just a second, anytime you see a great insurance agency or a great company look for extraordinary results with no one in the organization taking credit, then you've probably got level five leadership in that organization. I agree a hundred percent that I wrote that from the book. I, I wrote that down. I can't take credit for that. So of the fortune 500 companies, they looked at only 11 made the cut. He asked the question, can you learn to be a level five leader? And then he goes into the two types of people. The first person will always subjugate their ego. Work will always be about what they get, what's in it for me, what am I getting? Yeah. It's always about I and me. You'll hear them talk a lot about I. I did this, I did that, me, me, me. Not, not what they can contribute, create for the company or the legacy that they leave for that company. Those people are typically a lost cause. They are yeah. never, they are never going to reach level five leadership, level five leadership. Second person, the second kind of person, they have it buried in them. They can be developed. Maybe it's been ignored. Maybe there's been an event happen. One thing I heard was sometimes a significant life transformation or something happens in their life that's significant can turn someone into a level five leader. They and that's an that. evolutionary process too, right? I mean, they talk about a couple instances in the book with some of these uh, CEOs of some of these great, you know, the great companies versus the comparison companies. And, you know, one of them was a World War II vet that had his orders changed the day before he was supposed to go on a ship that got sunk and lost all hands. And that was like a changing point in his life. Right. And so, you know, I think we've all had instances in our lives and, and 
things happen and you can uh, you can draw on those strengths leading your organization. The next chapter, and in my opinion, the one he talks the most about throughout the, the book, talks about getting the right people on the bus and who those people need to be. Okay. Yes. So here we go. And the, the chapter is called First Who, Then What? Correct. People are the people. most important. People. The, the right, right people. The right people. They do not need to be motivated. What they found in the great companies that they studied that went from good to great where they had great people that did not need to be motivated. You don't, you, if you're having to play high school football coach every week and have the rah-rah and the band and all that to get people motivated, you've probably got the wrong people on the bus. The right people are self-motivated and self-disciplined. And if you've got the wrong people on the bus – it won't matter which direction your bus is going. You're still not going to go from good to great. Yeah. You could be, you could have the best idea since white bread, but if you get the wrong people all rolling the wrong direction, you're yeah. in big trouble. Great companies. First, they get the right people in the right seats on the bus. That was key. Number one, key. Number two, these are great companies that they study degree of sheer rigor needed to get the right people in the right seat. So it was not only about getting the right people on the bus, but then making sure that you had those people sitting in the right seats on the bus before you cranked it up and you got started. And then the third thing I wrote down here was these great companies built deep, strong executive teams. Yes. And, and you might mention this later in your notes, but it's not in, in the executive teams. It's not how they paid them either. That's well, that's, that's the first thing I said. Remember, yeah, it's it's who you pay, not how you pay them. When they studied the great companies versus the mediocre companies out there, there was no relation with management pay between the two uh, good companies versus great companies. In most cases, these were competing companies. These That's were right. companies that were competing with each other. Yeah, you got Here, Wells Fargo versus Bank of America. Here's one that I see all the time in the insurance industry. And guys, you need to look yourself in the mirror and think about whether you're this person. Geniuses, geniuses don't need great management teams. But what happens when they leave or die? And the thing that they called it in the book was the genius with a thousand helpers. Yep. And as soon as that person leaves, what happens to the organization? Poof. It's gone. Or it's just never the same. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'll say this. It is very hard. I've always said this to people. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to duplicate genius. Does anybody believe that when Nick Saban one day, you know, puts the football coach hat down and leaves the University of Alabama, that they are going to be as good as they are today? And the answer is probably not. You know, it's very difficult. But I see a lot of insurance agents, Bill, that are fantastic agents, but it feels like from me, outside looking in, that you've got this fantastic leader, this genius, this real creative guy, 
But I wonder sometimes because of their ego, do they fall into that camp of a genius with a thousand followers? When I was re so this is about the fifth or sixth time I've been through this book. And every time I go through it, you know, you hear something new and it's like, am I that genius with a thousand helpers? You know, is it all me running all this or is it the team? And if I, am I a level five leader? I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm working on it. You know, the, the thing with that is it's a little bit hard because, you know, this industry, you got to have experience, right? I think you and I were talking about claims experience and, right. you know, it just, there's no substitute for the, the depth of knowledge of dealing with a bad claims problem with commercial, you know, you're dealing with some flood stuff down there right now. We had a tornado come through up in my area and knock some trees down. And so is it the experience? Is it leader with thousand helpers? But, but again, I think the bottom line is for us as insurance agents out there looking to hire great talent is don't settle for a warm body to put in that chair because it can ruin the culture, get the right people. That's, you know, Mike talks about it, you know, the people thing that's, you got to get good people. And that's been a huge thing for our agency is getting, getting some good people on board. And a lot of agency owners, next question is going to be, well, how do we hire great people? How do we get great people? How do we, how do you do that? And then once you get them, the next, the next stage in that process is keeping them right. Yeah, that's right. And I wrote down here, the great companies, as far as compensation structures, compensation structure should be used to get the right people on the bus. That's what I wrote down. Mm -hmm. Again, he comes back again, great companies. People are not your most important asset. The right people are your most important asset. He said that great leaders, level five leaders were rigorous, but not ruthless you can't rule with an iron fist, but you can say, this is the standard. This is the I protect insurance way. Right. This is the Butler insurance way. And if you don't want to do it this way, we're not, we're not the right spot for you because we've identified these are our keys to success. These are our KPIs, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's, uh, you know, preferred personal lines, you're doing monoline auto, you're selling apartment buildings. Like if you've identified that stuff and this is how we do business and that's rigorous. Yes. It's hard to stay focused on that because you got stuff coming at you all the time, but if, but you don't have to be ruthless. Next page, Packard's law. Packard's law says this guys, no As in Hewlett Packard. Correct. No company, no company can grow revenues consistently faster than its ability to get the right people in place to implement that growth. I love that so much. That is a great line. And it's, and it's getting the right people doing the right things within the organization that actually are that force multiplier that allow you to grow faster than you ever thought. And, and, you know, he talks about it later in the book, when you have all these things working together, the flywheel, your hedgehog concept, which I know Scott's going to talk about is it's not a, how fast can we grow? It's, you're actually, you're drinking too much water, too fast problem. That's exactly right. The next line I wrote down, the ultimate throttle on growth. The ultimate throttle on growth is the ability to hire and keep the right people. When in doubt, do not hire. <laughs> yeah. Do not compromise. Find the right people. Hey, I'm going to tell you what Mike Stromso did the first day, the very first day of my joining the UPP Platinum Coaching School with Mike Stromso. Plug for him right there. He's got me on a Zoom call. He's got Justin Miller on a Zoom call. 
and he has a piece of paper and a pen in his hand. He said, hey, I need you to do me a favor, okay? He said, uh, need, need the name of each one of the individuals working in your organization, every one of them. Give me their names. So we start giving names. Athena Stevens, Jessica Miller, Justin Miller, Bruce Payne, Harley, Self. We just go on and on and on. Yeah. 11, 11, 11 people. And at the time, I'm thinking, where's he going with this? What's he? Going I, with? I know where he's going with it. Yeah, but 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 they don't. These people yeah, exactly, don't. Exactly, exactly. And it, but this speaks to what we're talking about right now. He said, "I I got I need you to do one thing for me. I'm going to call each person's name out to you and Justin. You can only give me one answer. You can either say yes, or you can say no. And if you start that whole, well, yeah, well, I don't know, then that means no. That means no." That's right. right. So it's either yes or it's no. And if you start waffling or well, whatever, then we're going to assume that's no. Right. So he went through each person in our organization, guys, and he asked one question of each person. Would you hire that person again? And he doesn't wait. It's would you hire Justin again? Yes or no? Correct. Yes or no? Yes you or say no? Yes. Jessica Miller. Yes. Bruce yes. Payne. Yes. And if you start, and, and I've seen him do that a number of times and, and it, what it does is it forces you to focus. Do I have the right people on the bus? Well, the one person that we both said, no, we let go two weeks later. And that was a good decision. And it was, I think, I think him going through that exercise with us, it kind of shined a light on that yeah. a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I try to be action. You know, I try to do more than I talk, even though I talk on this podcast for an hour a week, but it was very illuminating him doing that. I think one thing to back up that, that kind of thought process for us as agency owners and, and insurance professionals is with the rigor, not ruthless is it's unfair to keep somebody who's unhappy in a position. If they're, if they don't fit with the culture and they don't have the capacity to do insurance, they're probably not happy. It's not something they're passionate about. And so actually you releasing them back to the marketplace, you're actually helping them out. It's unfair to steal people's lives from them, having them do something where they're unhappy and you're unhappy. And, and so, you know, it might feel ruthless to terminate someone. That's one of the hardest things we have to do as a business owner. But at the end of the day, if it's the right thing for them, it's not ruthless, it's rigorous. That's what we need to maintain as a, as a thought process leading our organizations. So the next thing I was going to say that I had written down here was exactly what you just said, Bill. Letting the wrong people hang around is unfair. You are stealing a portion of that person's life. That's wow. right. Wow. Yeah. Here's the next thing I wrote down. The moment you feel the need to tightly manage someone, let them go. If you're checking when they're sending emails and how they're sending them, Houston, we've had a problem. <laughs> If you're having to watch the agency cameras all day to make sure your people are working, you've got a big problem. Or you're a micromanager and you need to step back and evaluate. Probably not working on the stuff you should be working on as an agency owner. Correct. And then you have to ask yourself before you let this person go. Now, we just talked about stealing a portion of their life. But one of the things that he talked about with great companies and great management and great level five leaders is before they let them go, they always ask themselves the question, is this person the wrong person or do we just have them on the wrong seat on the bus? Yeah. That's a big difference. He talks about one of the CEOs. I think it's for <laughs> Gillette. 
at the uh, and and he spent literally years tinkering with the leadership team, making sure they'd have somebody in five, six different vice president executive positions, making sure they had them in the right spot right. before they finally cut the cord. If they had a really good person, look, are they the right person in the right seat? If they're the right person, we'll find the right seat. Correct. Last question to ask yourselves, guys, is, is it, as you're trying to build a great organization with the right people, not just the good people, but great people that are the right people, this is a great question to ask yourself. If they came to you and told you they were going to leave, how would you feel? That's another indicator. Trust your gut. Yeah. If that wrong person or the person you've been kind of waffling back and forth about where we're going to keep them, we're going to let them go, what are we going to do? Ask yourself that question. If they come to you tomorrow and they said, hey, I found another opportunity, I'm going to leave. Would you be happy about that? Would you try to keep them? I finally get to replace that Scott Howell guy. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Here's another one, guys. You want to know whether you're a great organization or not? Great teams. This is what they found in their research. Great teams typically stay in touch throughout their life. Wow. Wow. They enjoy meeting with each other. They spend a lot of time with each other. They enjoy being together. And he just talks about being on the bus with people you love. But he also talks about being able to have really big disagreements. You know, he talked about executive teams almost coming to blows. Like I, I think R.J. Reynolds. Yeah, almost Paul came. Morris or one. They're, fought, they're like almost in the conference room. fights in yeah. the conference room about yeah. stuff because they were, you know, that's passion. They're passionate about it. You're yeah. passionate, guy, Scott. You're getting ahead of me. Okay, so, I'll slow down. I'll slow chapter, down. Sorry. Chapter four. Confront the brutal facts. There are two distinct forms of disciplined thought. Number one, great leaders, great organizations infuse brutal facts in with what they're trying to do. They infuse that as part of their strategy for how we're going to even get better than we are. Number two, and you'll have to help me with this because I can't remember what this meant, Bill, but frame of reference in all cases. I wrote that down. Frame. I think, you know, the, the thing with the confronting the brutal facts, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to talk about the Stockdale paradox, which is one of my favorite stories of the book. And it's, it's just keeping a frame of reference of, you know, where we're at, what we can accomplish, what we can't accomplish. And I've got four people working for me. I, I, you know, the scale of what we can do and how we do it, I have to confront the brutal facts. So what, you know, so you've got to keep those things in mind from a frame of reference of who we are and what we can do in confronting those brutal facts Correct. of reality. And that was the next thing I wrote down. Reality. I love that word reality. Reality needs to be what's worried about. Reality needs to be what's worried about, not what the leader's reality is. And oh my God, in large organizations, multi-billion dollar companies, you've got this CEO that's this power driven, you know, you say anything negative, he fires you. I've actually worked for companies like that before where everybody was just trying to pacify the leader and not really letting reality and the problems with reality come out because they didn't want to be the next one on the chopping block because a lot of times especially in a care in a, with carriers 
if you don't kiss the ring, yeah, and, and I and I've heard vice presidents of major insurance carriers talk about kissing the ring. Are we worried about reality of what's really going on? Or are we just trying to pacify the leader here so we don't get put on the chopping block? Yeah. Well, and you know, for us, I don't handle everything that comes through the door at Butler and Associates. And, you know, I don't know, I trust the team to do what, you know, I expect them to do. And, but I, you know, I'm not the boots on the ground doing the day-to-day operations. So, you know, leading with questions, not with answers, like what can I do to help you do your job better? Right. And if there's some really, if there's some, some problems in the organization, I can't fix what I don't know. I tell that to my team all the time. You got to tell me because I can't fix what I don't know. That's every Wednesday on our staff meeting. I ask each person because I I make every person in our organization talk. I learned that from some leadership book. Don't let anybody off the hook. Let them all have a time to speak. Mm -hmm. I do that on purpose for a number of reasons. But how do you create, and and this is going to be for the 250,000 insurance agents from around the world, your next question is going to be, how do you create a climate where the truth, where the truth, is heard. Do you know, do you know what I tell my team, every team member, when they start with me and I reinforce it, Scott, I say this, and this is for everyone out there. I say, if there's a mistake, if there's there, this, this job is too technical and too hard to not make mistakes. As much as we all want to say we're a perfect insurance agency, I guarantee you there's mistakes being made. And what I tell every team member is there's one thing I cannot help you with. If you lie to me, if you lie to me, I can't help you. Right. Anything else I can help you with. We have errors and emissions insurance. I'm happy to pay that deductible if we get to that point, because that's why I buy insurance. But if you don't tell me the truth, I can't help you. And you just put that line in the sand, but you have to, but then as a leader, you've got to be okay with them coming to you with that sticky, ugly problem and help them fix it and back them up. That's exactly right. So here's some notes I wrote down that parallels the exact thing that Bill just talked about. Lead with questions, not answers. To gain a clear picture of reality. To help you gain understanding. Lead with questions, not answers. Don't play the blame game. Conduct autopsies without blame. That's right. That's something that I feel like I do a really good job of, and Mm -hmm. most of my my team members do not. So there's, there's a lack of leadership training there on my part because when we have mistakes or things that happen here, I feel like everybody's just dying to look out the window and blame somebody else. Well, you know, I didn't do that because I gave that to her. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell each and every one of them, we're not playing the blame game here. I'm just trying to figure out what happened. So number one, we can fix it. Number two, so it doesn't happen again. That's and, all and, we're doing. And then it's man, like, like we talked about earlier, it's managing the problem, not the people. Correct. So if you can manage the issue, you know, we missed something. Well, what can we put in place to help manage that issue so we don't have it happen in the future versus bringing somebody in? This happened again. It might be wrong person, right person, wrong seat. So, so here we go. We're about to talk about the fight in the RJ Reynolds conference room among executive <laughs> members, right? That's right. Engage in dialogue and debate, not, not coercion. And then he starts talking about Socratic dialogue. 
in heated debates, conduct autopsies without blame, and build red flag mechanisms. Talk about that for a second, Bill. Yeah, so Philip Morris uh, bought 7-Up in 1978, which wound up costing him something like uh, relatively small compared to total assets, but it was a big black eye for the company. Right. And they... They, uh, they what wound is somebody, up, what is somebody's cousin or nephew that yeah, owned the other it was, company? Uh, some nepotisms going yeah. on, I think. Yeah. And, uh, they wound up doing like a five page dissection. And at the end of the day, Coleman, he said, you know, I take responsibility for this bad decision, but we all take responsibility for extracting the maximum learning from the tuition we've paid. Like, wow. you know, this costs us some money. And we didn't agree about doing it, but at the end of the day, I the buck stops with me, but we all made this decision as an executive team. The last thing I wrote down here on this page, and then we'll move on to the Stockdale paradox. Guys, if you don't take anything else away from what I just said, take this away from it. The key here is to have great information that cannot, let me repeat that, the key is to have great information that cannot be ignored. And that's really what you're trying to get through in these debates and this Socratic dialogue is to get to the, get to the meat and potatoes of it and yeah, figure out the what the problems are. It's, you know, this is, this is business and, right. you know, people have personalities and we'll have feelings about stuff, but at the end sure. of the day, it's about taking care of our customers, taking care of our team. And what's, you know, what's our, what's our reason for doing that and our headshot concept, which you're going to get to. And, and is it following that? And if it is, we're good to go. And if it's not, let's stop doing it. The Stockdale paradox. You must have, you must have the discipline to face the facts of your brutal reality. Life is not fair. Sometimes that is to our advantage. And sometimes that is to our disadvantage. What did you think when you read the state or listened to the Stockdale paradox and Admiral Stockdale and what he went through? I thought he was a guy I would have loved to have had dinner with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I would, I would, listening, you know, oh, I, tell, ahead, I, tell, I tell people this all the time and I've, I've mentioned this briefly on this, on this podcast, but I'm going to say it again. There was a book that was written a long, long time ago, and it happens to be the best-selling book of all time. It's called the Bible. And that Bible is chock full of examples that I think we sometimes as human beings and living in the world that we live in today in the 21st century forget. Life is a struggle. Yeah. Front to back. You come out screaming, and it never really, I mean, it's just a struggle. Now, for some of us more than others. You know what my grandpa would say about getting old? You talk about coming in screaming. You know what my grandpa said about getting old? What's that? Getting old ain't for sissies. That's it. That's it. But it's better than the alternative. Hey, tr true. But I always, I'll, I think about that a lot, that, that I think sometimes we forget life is a struggle, just like running an insurance agency is a struggle. Not every day, not all the time, but you know, you're going to definitely have your days and you're going to mm -hmm. have a lot of those days. But this Stockdale print paradox You've got to have the discipline to face the facts of your brutal, brutal reality. Life is unfair. Honest, honest. My God, I can't say this enough because to this day, I meet people in the insurance industry and I wonder, is this some bitch honest or not? Honest confrontation of the brutal facts. Create a culture where people can be heard. Goes right back to what I was talking about. Absolutely. Relative to 
There are leaders of some organizations. There are leaders of some insurance organizations that you just don't feel like you can be real honest with because mm-hmm. they don't either, either, like I said, you're going to be put on the chopping block and now he's out saying that you're a problem. This person's a problem, child. We got to figure out a way to, you know, as you said earlier, release them back to the marketplace. Man, that, that, that's poison. That is rat poison when you can't be honest with people or people can't be honest with you and their organization. It doesn't work. No. I'll tell you what it leads to. And I tell people this all the time. I tell Bradley this all the time because Bradley's got a little Tabasco sauce in him. And more than I do, which is you would think it would be the other way around. But Bradley, sometimes he'll be thinking about doing something. And I'm like, Bradley, you you never know when you're going to have to walk across that bridge again, brother. And when you screw somebody over or you say something or you do something and and then what I have found to be the case is later on down the road, something will happen and you won't know what happened. Nobody ever tells you what happened with that deal, but maybe you got cut out of it or sure. maybe you didn't get invited or what whatever might have happened. And it's like it, you didn't know it, but it came back to bite you. This you know? insurance world is that it's a waiting pool. It's not an ocean. That's right. That's exactly right. It feels big, but it's not that big. Ignore brutal facts and you will demotivate people. Let me say that again, guys. Ignore brutal facts and you will demotivate people. Let's just say so. Let's give everyone the Stockdale paradox for one second. So the Stockdale paradox refers to Admiral James Stockdale, who is the highest ranking military member ever to be a POW in the Hanoi Hilton. And right. he was uh, tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973. And he came up with the Stockdale Paradox. And the Stockdale Paradox is this, just so everyone's very clear about it. You must retain the faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the very same time, confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And Jim tells the story in the book. He was walking to lunch. He was fortunate to share a meal with uh, General uh, Admiral Stockdale. And he said, who didn't make it in Vietnam? And he said, oh, the optimists didn't make it. Right. And the optimists thought, oh, well, we'll get out of here by Easter. And Easter would come and go. And then we're going to get out of here by Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving would come and go. And then we get out of here by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. And they died of a broken heart. Yep. And they just couldn't take it. And so you have to confront the fact that this business is hard. You're going to have a hard time hiring people. It's a hard market. I've got too many claims. I don't have the right carriers. But at the end of the day, you must have faith that you will prevail in the end while confronting the brutal facts of your reality. And when you get clear with that, it helps you put some of this stuff aside and the old old poor me stuff and just get the work done. Exactly. You did a much better job of explaining that than I did. Well, I've listened to it about six times. So. Hedgehogs and foxes. Just a quick note, last note on that, Scott. When COVID came out, Jim Collins actually shot like a seven-minute YouTube video speaking about the Stockdale paradox and the world shutting down with COVID last year. It's out there on YouTube. Just Google Jim Collins' yeah. Stockdale paradox, and there's like a six-minute YouTube video from like May or April of last year where he specifically talks about it. Hey, this is really hard. It's scary and dangerous, but you know what? We'll prevail in the end. Yeah, this this is our reality right now. This is it. Yeah. So the fox pursues many ends at the same time. Fox people are typically pretty scattered. 
got a lot of stuff going on in a lot of different directions. It's that squirrel syndrome, shiny object. What's next? Yes. Yes. I'm going to fix it all with these 55 different plans and programs. <laughs> or I'm going to have 14 different businesses going. You know, I got a $100 million agent that's an acquaintance of mine, and his wife's run his agency for a number of years. And I asked her one day, I said, I said, uh, we were talking about how he'd kind of reached this, uh, this level of, of really kind of fame, you know, he runs around with a lot of famous people. And she said, you know, when I met him, we started dating, we got married. I started working in the agency. She said, the very first thing I did is that some bitch had limousine companies and, uh, <laughs> he had a, he had a, he had a thing. He was, he was renting jet skis at the beach and all this other crazy stuff he was doing. She said, you know, we're going to sell insurance. That's what we're going to do. And uh, so he he kind of put all the other stuff he was doing aside and just focused on focused insurance. on insurance, huh? Yeah, it went from like $5 million, $6 million in premium to $100 million. Not bad. No, it's not bad. So that's the Fox. Tell me about the Hedgehog, Scott. Organize a complex world into simple ideas. The essence of of profound insight is simplicity and you can give them the example if you want to out of the book of where you know the the fox you know trying to get to the hedgehog give them that example yeah so you know the the example is the fox is kind of like wiley coyote he's trying a million things to do to get the hedgehog and the hedgehog you know that the fox is laying in the woods and he's waiting for the hedgehog to come down the trail and the hedgehog is like oh geez here's this fox again he just rolls up in his little ball and the fox pounces out and he's looking at the hedgehog and his little tiny ball rolled up and the fox is like all right i'm gonna have to devise a new plan the hedgehog the fox runs away and the hedgehog goes about his business and the next day the fox comes and he jumps out of a tree instead of hiding behind the log and the hedgehog is like "Ah, here's this fox again i'm just gonna roll up my little ball and it's being simple and focused in your process instead of trying a million different things that's it the hedgehog concept figuring out what clients want and becoming the best in the world at it. Simple ideas. And then he starts talking about the three circles, deep understanding of the three circles. Circle number one, circle number one, guys, write this shit down. What can you be the best in the world at? Or what can you not be best in the world at is also just as important. important. I, I had it listed and... Yeah. And what can you not be the best in the world at? And he talks a lot about these Socratic meetings with your leadership team. This is not something that most companies can typically put together in a day or two. There's some companies that takes years to figure this thing out, especially some of these fortune 500 companies. What are we the best? What can we be the best at? Well, think about your evolution in the insurance industry, right? We're insurance agents. We got 250,000 listening in. What can you be best in the world at? I can't be the best in the world for, you know, monoline, non-owned auto policies. I just don't have the staff for it. There's agencies out there who can be the best in the world at that. That's just not Bill Butler's agency for I protect insurance. So you have to, you know, know your team, know what you're doing. First who, then what? So the first who is get great people on board. Then what? What can we be best in the world at? Correct. And, and what so, can we not be? And what can we not be? And then and there are three intersecting circles. So what's circle number two, Scott? Circle number two. What drives your profitability? God, I love that so much. Let me say it again. What drives your profitability 
profit per X. Talk about that, Bill. So it's, you know, profit per X for, for me, my metric is profit per employee. You might be profit per policy, profit per carrier, profit per client. It just depends on your agency, how you're set up and what your profit per X is, but that's going to be the revenue driver for the business. And, you know, I think profit per employee makes, that's a, that's a pretty good metric because that's probably our number one expenses insurance aid. We don't have overhead inventory, all that kind of stuff. Our biggest P and L item is generally the people P and L line jump, item. Jump, jumps off the sheet, jumps yeah. off the P and L. Hey, do, Bill, do you have it memorized? Could you give these guys so they could write this down for a minute? How to come up with your profit per employee? Do you have that memorized? So, you know, number one is you got to know your numbers. And I've been, I started tracking this in 2018 and I track how many policies I have every month, how many clients I have every month, what my commission is every month, what my premium is every month. And then I divide that and I have revenue per client, premium per client. And you're taking your revenue divided by the number of team members you have. And that's going to give you your revenue per employee. Now, the profit per employee is you could take the net revenue number on your P&L and divide that by the number of team members you have. And depending on your year, that might not look so hot. Right. And but but at the end of the day, I think the you know, best practices, they talk about that 100,000 to 130,000 numbers being, you know, kind of the average benchmark for independent insurance agents, but also it depends on size, you're writing personal, commercial, or that sort of thing, but it gives you a good indicator. But if you don't track that and you don't know month to month or year to year how that's going, how do you know if what you're doing is even paying off? Correct. You got to know your numbers. Correct. Circle number three, what are you deeply passionate about? What are you deeply passionate about, Scott? My family. And that includes my insurance family. I think I, I, think I care more about that than anything else. I was thinking about that this morning. What what are you passionate about? And I I, I would say family, and I, and I would include that as my insurance family as well, because mm -hmm. I spend as much time with them as I do my own family. And so when you're thinking about what you're passionate about, it can be, it might not even be actually the clients you work with. You can just be passionate about building a great thing, building the processes for the insurance agent. I mean, that could Correct. be it. And so you have to figure out what your passion is, a specific line of business. You know, Russ yeah. Castle, he's passionate about apartment buildings. Yeah. He's read a book about it. You know, right. you're, you do apartment. And that's different for all of us. And so you got to figure out what that passion is. And when these three circles line up together, you got to stick to that. So what are you passionate about? Let me give you three blues clues on what, how to figure that out. Number one, first clue, I feel like I was born to do this. For me, that was podcasting. The first time I sat in front of a microphone and did this, I thought to myself, damn, I'm pretty damn good at this. And I'm, I'm very critical of myself. Normally, I would have told myself how shitty I did. Number two, you're well paid to do whatever it is you do. Number three, you're doing what you're passionate about. You love it. You love the process. And then I wrote down drive towards these three. And you need all three of these circles that we just mentioned to be great. And that is the hedgehog concept. So I'll go blow through them again. Number one, this is circle number one. And I believe these circles intersect. Am I correct? That's right. So it's kind of a Venn diagram type correct. deal. Right. What can you be best in the world at? And what can you not be best in the world at? Circle number two, what drives your profitability? Profit per X. Number three, 
what are you deeply passionate about? Or as Bill said earlier, I think most insurance agents, some absolutely love helping others. That was the pat answer when I started. I just love helping people. That's changed for me. I love the freedom I have of building a business. I love the the game, as Bradley Flowers likes to say, the game of business, the game of growing this agency, competing with other agencies in my area. Mm-hmm. I love all of that stuff. And I love podcasting. I love my family. Those are things I'm passionate about. But I just gave you a breakdown of kind of how to figure some of that out. Question, what can we do better than any other? I wrote this down just for myself. What can we do better than any other insurance agencies? What can we not do better? I wrote down, do the best swan dive in the world. Is That, that came from the book, right? Yeah, that was the book. They said, uh, you know, there was one executive and they asked him about being a professional diver he said look he wouldn't try and do some you know triple somersault back thing he would he would do one dive and he would be best in the world at it in and out i'm a huge fan of in and out there's a lot of marketing lessons there harry schneider who founded in and out said keep things simple do one thing and do it the best you can the hedgehog concept is an insightful piercing understanding of what you can and cannot be the best at If you cannot be the best at it, your core business, for example, then it cannot be at the core of the hedgehog concept. Next page. So if you get a ton of monoline auto and you're not good at it, that should not be your core business. You probably need to do something else. You should find a different market. Most businesses lack a hedgehog concept. I would say the great majority of them do. Every great company that they studied has figured out what they can be the best at. And the only way to remain great is to continue the principles that got you there. I had somebody tell me that one time. He said, man, it was working so well, we stopped doing it. Yeah. You know, that's the old marketing adage. That's exactly right. Size does not equal great. Great companies don't focus everything on growth. The hedgehog concept, you have to get it right. You need insight. For many of these companies, it took as long as four years for them to get it right, to it's figure part of that it out. Deep understanding. You got to know what you're good at, what you're not good at, and, and understand your industry. And then the last pages I've got here, we're just going to kind of blow through them because we're up against time, but I think they are insightful. He said, great, this, we're, guys, we're talking about great companies here. It's not about technology by itself. Technology by itself cannot make you good to great. If you rely on technology, you will remain mediocre. So what great companies do is they avoid, they avoid fads and they carefully and very thoughtfully select the technology that fits with their hedgehog concept. And they, it, it's called the technology accelerator, right? So that Correct. the, you know, the technology isn't what's going to make you great. It's having all these other things we've been talking about and then using technology to accelerate what you've already got in place, whether that's Globebox, for example, as saying, all right, we, we've got a lot of good things in place. We've got a hedgehog concept. We've got a culture of discipline. We've got, 
you know, uh, uh, Stockdale paradox, or we confront the brutal facts of reality that we've got to compete with insure techs out there. So we're going to implement the key technologies we need to help us accelerate our growth and, ex- and keep things going. And, you know, glove box might be an example as something that would help you do that. And there's a lot out there, but it's not just trying one and trying another one and using 50 different things. It's only using that technology that's going to help you accelerate based on what the needs are. And I think, you know, for us as, as insurance agents out there now, I mean, boom, you could be running 50 different things at once and none of them are actually going to help you. I deal with this with my team. Technology is a crutch. Yep. How easy is it to send an email or a text message to a client instead of pick up the phone and ask a question? Just, just call them on the phone, ask a question. Don't send them a text, you know, but it's, it's just too easy. I always ask myself one question. Is this a need or is this a want? Bill Cochran taught me that. He said, I always ask myself this question. Is it a need or is it a want? And if it, whether it's a need or a want, the second question I ask myself, and I tell Justin Miller this because Justin's one that'll try out technologies all the time for us to see if it's something we really could utilize. The second question I always ask myself, is this technology going to do one of two things? Help our agency team members be more efficient. That's kind of one A, but one B to that question is, are these some bitches going to use this? Or is this, yeah. this shit so hard that we're going to spend $400 a month on it? Spend three months getting it set up. Three months setting it up, train everybody on it, and they're not going to ever use it because it's so hard to use that nobody can figure it out or they have questions all the time. And then it turns out to be more of a problem than it is an answer. The, the second part of that that I always think to myself is, is this technology going to help our clients and let us reach them where they want to be reached or help them get service better? Is it going to benefit them in some way that they're really going to be able to use it? And, and it's, it's something that, that we should have uh, as part of our technology stack, so to speak. But those are really the two questions I always ask myself, because as you know, Bill, we get inundated now with technology and oh, man. techs all the time, every day. Try all this, the time. Try I mean, that, I, this, I just got that. an appointment set next week for one of them. Uh, one of our carriers is sponsoring some stuff and, and they said, yeah, sure. I'll, we'll sign up and use it. But you know, now I'm investing time out of my day to work on getting right. this stuff set up. And I don't know if it's actually going to be a technology accelerator or not. Exactly. So you'll have to, you'll have to figure that out. Last but not least, guys, Bill, you've done a great job today. I couldn't ask for a better co-host. You said you said we're going to play like champions today, and I'm I'm trying my best, Scott. I, I know you are. I know you are. Last, the last thing I want to mention before we get off this podcast, the last part of this book talks about once you've gone from good to great, the next iteration in this process is how to go from great to built to last great, Endure, mm-hmm. enduring greatness. Can't do it without a great team. Can't do it without figuring out what you can be the best at. Can't fit. Can't do it without great processes. Can't do it without, in our industry, great promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those things are going to be a part of enduring greatness. And I know for, I don't want to just speak for my team, but I know we've got a lot of areas we can improve on in our agency. And I know you, if you're listening oh, yeah. to this, you, you probably got some area where you could get better and I let's could read go, more books. Yeah. Well, let's just go back first. 
step in that process is figuring out what the truth is. Exactly. And owning it. And that's pretty much the book, Good to Great, that Bill Butler and I just summarized for you in one hour and 10 minutes. Woo! The, we did it. Boom. The thing that I would say, and the last thing that really sticks with me with this book, Scott, is, is he kind of goes over some questions and answers at the end. And he was asked by a research student, well, why should I try for greatness? And it kind of paused him for things like, I just talked about why you should be a great company, but it's really easy and comfortable to be good in the insurance industry. It, it takes work to be great. But the thing that, that Jim and Collins talks about, and what I would say to those 250,000 agents out there, you can probably invest the same amount of time to be mediocre or just good as it does to be great. And if it's yep. just that where you're investing that time, if you invest the time in being great, putting some of these principles we've talked about in place, maybe go out, listen to this audible book or get the book and, you know, read it and look at it. If you invest that time in being great, it's going to be the same amount of time that you invest in just staying mediocre. That's exactly so go right. Go out and be great. God, I love that so much. One of the things I promised myself this year is we were going to be a part of the UPP and we got some other things that I think are helping our agency be, you know, move towards greatness. I, I, I don't think I'll ever say we're there, but having guys like yourself and Mike Stromso and, and, and Chris Paradiso and all these other people in the industry, I think it helps us move the needle towards greatness because, as I always say, you are defined by your environment and the five people you spend time with. Absolutely. And uh, the more great insurance agents that have been successful that you're able to spend time with and be able to call on the phone when you've got issues and talk through. And I think the better your agency is going to be. And some people don't want to do that. Some people are like, hey, I got, I got this. I'll just do it myself. And unfortunately, I, I feel like those people are going to have a hard time moving the needle towards the great meter, if you know what I mean. So They're very good at being good. Bill, I love you, brother. Been I a love great you time. too, Scott, but you love I, me more, I know. I do. And let's do a book club. Next time we find a great book that you and I are just both like really passionate about, we got to get out to these guys and let them hear about. Let's jump on here again and do another hour-long podcast summary of it. Sold. Absolutely. Guys, as I end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big, bad world. Build relationships. Take what you learned today. Implement that in your agency. Rewards come from action, not discussion. That is one of the big parts of this book that we probably should have talked about is it's not just figuring all this out, but then it's that action part of this, taking distinctive action. That is a huge part of building your agency. Uh, get the right people on the bus, get the right people in the right seat, then start driving in the right direction. And that's, that's my hope for each one of you. It's Bill's hope for you as well. I know that. So make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kid's college fund, for your parents that are struggling out there today, go make money for them, write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bill Butler, I love you more, brother. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast and we love each and every one of you. And thank you so much for being a part of our family and we will see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, 
you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.